but the tone is remarkably similar. <laughs> like, yes. Like the BPM or something just like really works together. Please make two playlists where it's like 70 God of the Dead and one that music from Kirby and then one <laughs> 70 that music from Kirby and one God of the Dead and put it on shuffle. <laughs> so you'll eventually get caught eventually. by it. <laughs> Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Overly Sarcastic Podcast. I am Blue, and I'm joined by Red. Hello. My 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 voice is a little bit shot today, so I'm drinking some absolutely disgusting medicinal tea to cope with it. So you're getting chill, low energy, Red, today. But don't worry. The drink complaints are going to be as piping hot as ever. <laughs> Perfect. And you're drinking oh, it from a mug with a skull and crossbones on it, so it really <laughs> sells. Like, this is medicine, but like, eh. It's my go-to mug because it's got twice the volume of your average mug. Mm, so. Yeah. I have uh, I have some regular, like, 12-ounce mugs and then some 16-ounce mugs. So it's like, if this is a big day, I grab one of the 16-ounce guys. <laughs> this um, is a 16-ouncer kind of morning. Yeah. But, oh, uh, boy. I, I'm also uh, hitting the tee uh, this, this week because last... Thursday, I had the indigo. Don't give me that look. Uh, <laughs> That's a boomer thing you've ever said. <laughs> uh, it's a boomer, but like I'm from the 1840s yeah. instead. <laughs> yeah. Oh, straight from the straight from the fine shores of the Orient. <laughs> Old man blue making his reappearance. <laughs> um, but I, I was on a panel at PAX, uh, yeah. a video game thing, which is the most non-boomer counterpoint I could possibly make. Uh, me and, and Adam, uh, Ludo History, had a, a panel together that was called Historians Playing Historical Games, Why Do We Hurt Ourselves? It was at uh, PAX East Live. Uh, first time I've given a, a panel of that size before. It was the Dragonfly Theater, and it was almost a completely full house, which was insane i was expecting there to be like like three rows of people and people were coming in adam was like yeah man you know don't uh don't don't you know shortchange yourself you know the channel's really popular i'm like i mean yeah but this is real life it's different and he was like oh no i, I knew we'd have more than you expected us to and then people kept coming he's like okay now i'm surprised and they kept coming for like another minute and i'm like Oh boy! Yeah, <laughs> I wasn't uh, physically there. I was there in spirit, of course. Uh, but uh, yeah, I remember because you were messaging me that morning, like, "Oh, you know, I'm a little bit nervous." And I was like, "Oh, you know, first panel's always scary. You'll you'll be all right. It'll get easier with time." And then you sent me the selfie with the packed room, and I was like, "Ho ho ho! See, you see." Yeah. Um, <laughs> the breadth of your yeah. empire. <laughs> so it was very fun. I had a I had a great time. Yeah. Uh, the the audience was was having a blast all my dumb jokes i snuck an en passant joke from chess in there and got laughs that was the real highlight that i was able to do that okay that makes me feel dirty almost i I, I have to know when did this interest in chess first bloom because because i i from what i remember the first time you brought it up in conversation it was with that chess bot mittens with no mercy the, yeah, the cat. Uh, yeah, this this started no sooner than like December at the I, earliest, and I'm like fully <laughs> in it now. Like I'm committed. I so I thought so because I don't remember if I've ever mentioned this on the pod. I used to do competitive chess tournaments in middle school, <laughs> so it's very funny <laughs> to me. It's like, man, have you guys heard of this great new bit, the en passant joke? <laughs> I'm just like, bro, 
Call me when you know about the fried liver attack. But, like, <laughs> it's so fucking funny to me. I love this. This is, like, the new adopters, like, twice as into it. Yeah. Um, Late converts are, are way more enthusiastic. But, no, the panel was great. It'll be it'll be a detailed diatribe up on the channel next month. Uh, so if you missed it, uh, you'll be able to hear the, the panel and see all my wild gesticulations. Cyan was watching, like, you really do gesture very enthusiastically. I'm like, yeah, I, I need to talk with, with every element of my being. That's the, the Mediterranean genes. But... But that's a video for a future time. First off, we gotta uh, jump back to something else that was actually in camera because we did a, a little, a little theatrical performance yes, uh, the these theater. past couple weeks, did we not? We did. We we did for the Ides of March. We did Julius Caesar, which was extra fun. Uh, I I think it's got a little bit less chaos potential than Macbeth because there's so much going on there. Uh, but man, yeah, Beth was was designed to be a monstrosity. <laughs> yeah, but I had fun with this one in large part because like, oh man, historical play always a banger. Uh, and just this one was this one was interesting because we were like, yeah, we're, we should be Brutus and Mark Antony because they're like the enemies. You know, we could, it's like the Macbeth and Macduff thing. And then Mark Antony has like no lines for the first three <laughs> acts of the play. Uh, <laughs> He's just there looking pretty. <laughs> and after, like, his two big speeches, he's basically out again. <laughs> just disappears into the background for Brutus to be loudly gay. <laughs> yeah. Mark Antony, oh, always a bridesmaid, never a bride. It just never works out for him, does it? And, like, the Mark Antony in Julius Caesar is very different than the one in uh, Antony and Cleopatra. Oh, yeah. Much more of an interesting dude. Um, yeah, he cuts a much more regal figure by association with Caesar in this play than he does in the later one. <laughs> he does, Yeah. Uh, and it's, I mean, you know, there, there's discussion about, it. like, Mark Antony's but an arm of Caesar, you know, we, we kill Caesar, Mark Antony can't do shit, like a little sock puppet, uh, <laughs> which was also present. Uh, man, I think Duar absolutely stole the show. Oh, <laughs> God. Every time we get the theater kid to participate in theater, for some reason, yeah. he just kills it. I, I, it is fun to see, like, the... The, the the sub lore that's already starting to develop around the OSP Shakespeare stuff, yeah. um, like with like the Kermit stuff, um, the now the new lore of Miss Piggy as the Blahage the whale, uh, which the amount of <laughs> I shark. see the Blah or the, yeah the shark I see the Blahage <laughs> I click like that that got a lot of comments uh, like I didn't realize it was that strong of a meme, um, but it was really cool seeing the amount of just like just full love for everybody's performances in the comments where so many people are like oh my god like i loved like tim playing every woman he's ever met at once <laughs> i loved you know kaluna is ditto cyan is a ghost um it, all so many things were 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 so fun it was great to see everybody latching on to their own little favorite bits of the performance like indigo your bit with with uh with noir of like the reading as and being like the board casting That's director right. was so Basically, funny gonna, yeah that was that, so funny that was hardened from years of experience you could just tell you could just yeah feel. that is noir and indigo sharing one single brain cell a <laughs> phenomenon that you see on rolling with difficulty but is in fact just how our friendship usually works yeah it, it was so fun seeing how all of those bits had someone whose bit it was their favorite, uh, which was yeah. really, really cool to see. It's always fun going through Shakespeare and like every 20 pages or so hitting a bit where it's like, oh, that's where that's from. And with Julius mm -hmm. Caesar, there's like four of them in a row because yeah. you get, you know, uh, I, I think Tim was the one who was like, wait a it's minute. It's Greek to me. Like, yeah. yeah. Uh, like that one was like, wait, that's where it's Greek to me comes from. But also like the whole uh, friends, Romans, countrymen. He was like, wait, Brutus doesn't give that. It's like, of course, Brutus doesn't give that. Brutus <laughs> is the one who just stabbed the, like the most Romany Roman. <laughs> yeah. That's what the speech is about. Oh, man. 
Um, <laughs> I, I, you mentioned meeting somebody at PAX who had like just seen the Mar uh, the the uh, who was it? Yes, um, oh Marlon Brando. Production the, the of, Marlon Brando yeah. Caesar, yeah, right, which is the one that I used in the video for it ages ago. But also, it's where I stole the delivery of "Cry Havoc" and "Let's Lift the Dogs oh, of yeah. War" because I remember just hearing it and be like, "Oh, that's a banger! I got to file that away for future reference in like twelve years from now." Um, <laughs> one day I'll use it. Yeah. yeah, that the same people who who told me they did that also said that they uh, proceeded to get uh, super hash blasted uh, and then watched. <laughs> our version of Julius Caesar. And I said, that was the correct viewing order. That must have been so funny. Oh, man. Because <laughs> they were like, when Noir started speaking Latin, we almost felt like we could understand him for a second there. <laughs> oh, <laughs> Which God. is the kind of, like, like pan-linguistic understanding you only get when you're severely inebriated in one way or another. <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean, I not to overpraise, but, like, what a friggin' like, cause, oh cause gosh. I had to, you know, as Mark Antony, he has to respond to Caesar a lot, and I was never like, is he done? Is where where'd the line at? I could always sort of keep up with it just from the tone of the delivery. It's like, okay, yeah. that sounds like, uh, that sounds like he's talking about Calpurnia. All right, I got it. Uh, which is, uh, as somebody who uh, emotes written words for a living, uh, <laughs> I gotta respect the grind. It's it's very impressive. Wildly God, impressive. What a mess. And then to do it in, in like, reconstructed classical pronunciation. Holy fuck. Yeah, man. it was. <laughs> That's what I most found impressive was the pronunciation well, was also really did. good. <laughs> yeah, no, it was it was really fun. And we had a great time. Like, every time yeah. we get to do one of these and just sort of, like, call up our, like, buds of the channel and be like, hey. <laughs> yeah. You want to, like, hang out and uh, make us break character for a while? Uh, oh, boy. And then we it got was a hard not breaking character. Which? We got a great fan art of it, too. Yeah. Which is really fun to see. I'm like, yep, the, the, now the, the bit has apotheosed. <laughs> this is it. <laughs> it's risen above. Become a legend. Boy, yeah. yeah. It was really fun. And then we released the um, supercut of, like, fun moments. Because when we did uh, the Macbeth one back in October, I want to say, yeah. we did, I think, the full thing as a Friday release. And then we did, like, the supercuts on Tuesday. And the supercut was wildly more popular as a video. <laughs> um, just cause Easier it to watch two hours. over a meal. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, also, just a higher density of funny per minute watched. So it made perfect sense. We were like, let's just flip it this time. You know, the, the full one's there for those who, who seek it. But, you know. Yeah, it was, no, uh, it's fun. And also, you know, every time I read through a Shakespeare play, I'm like, God, this is so much better when you read it out loud. Like, yeah. you know, even our shitposty version, it's like there's bits in there where you're like, oh, this is actually really funny. Like, I get that this is a joke now. Yeah. Um, and, you know, when you're just reading it verbatim, it's just like, it's fucking, yeah, I don't know. It's yeah. Greek to me, whatever, man. But, and if yeah. you're Tim, you learn that it's all Greek to me it came yeah. from a Shakespeare play uh, live in the moment. Sometimes I remember that my uh, the amount of Shakespeare I've read is not a universal experience. <laughs> yeah, and and we we've said on multiple occasions like we are not so cool as to think that Shakespeare is lame. Like Shakespeare is actually extremely interesting and fun and funny. Uh, in addition to you know being foundational piece of English literature, yada yada, whatever. Mm -hmm. um, it's you know having only done it in school, it's easy to be like this is boring. It sucks. But we hope that, especially by doing these, like, real performance, like, you know, people, this, these, these real performance people, you know, reading it out loud for realsies shows, like, this is very fun and genuinely a wonderful piece of literature in addition yeah. to, you know, being recommended or being assigned as reading in class. 
Shakespeare is one of those cases that I've observed a lot of the time where it's like sometimes a really, really good story just doesn't get super popular. Sometimes a really good piece of art sort of slides under the radar. Um, and sometimes a really not great piece of art seems to sort of be just elevated because it's pretty fun. Um, but sometimes the things that are really, really popular are actually really, really good. And the things that are oh, canceled before their time are actually only fine. Uh, yeah. <laughs> they're, they're, like the, the number of times where I've like read like a comic or, or like a manga or, you know, a story and people are like, oh, it's so sad that this was canceled after three issues. I'm like, no, it's not. I'm sorry. <laughs> it, it died at the right time. And sometimes things get resurrected that shouldn't have been like Young Justice. But that's OK. Um, and in this case, it's like see, Shakespeare's that good. Shakespeare's actually that good. There's a reason it's timeless. Like he's yeah. he's legitimately an incredibly good playwright and storyteller. And if you read it like a book, you're doing him a disservice because it's not designed for that. Yeah. Um, the, yeah. the one thing I'll say before we transition over to the next video is that I found it funny how many people are like, oh, I would love to hear Blue's 30-minute like rant about the historical preamble to the play. The, the reason that I, I said it that way is because I actually do have on the channel a 30-minute <laughs> preamble about the Roman Republic that is my nearly my most popular video on the channel, which, again, is something that I'm very excited and proud of. But yeah. it was funny. People were like, oh, yeah, you know, I'd love to... To see that, I'm like, no, here it is. I, I dropped a link for one person. I'm like, here, enjoy. Hope you like it. <laughs> it's like, this is real. It, it does, in fact, exist. Sneaky, sneaky. <laughs> but um, in any case, that was uh, that was a very long uh, video, a pair of them, in fact. But um, let's jump halfway across the globe to read your most recent video on a Japanese folktale. Yes, the the tale of Shibetaro, which uh, I had I had a fun time with. I wasn't sure how it was going to do because it's not a super well-known recognizable name although there were for people who were like yeah there's a statue to shibetoto in this town and i'm like oh damn um <laughs> but yeah uh it's it's one of those things that i sort of stumbled into in, uh by accident because <laughs> so uh i had acquired this book uh called kaibyo the supernatural cats of japan by Zach Davison. And I'd actually gotten it at a bookstore that I'd gone to with Blue and Cyan, just kind of on a whim of like, ooh, cat folktales, heck yeah. And I just grabbed it. Um, and it's a great book. It, it goes into a lot of detail about just like, this guy just basically sat down and researched all the different like forms of supernatural cats that show up in Japanese folktales. And I was reading through it and I ran into, you know, there were, there were various different stories. And I was like, this is pretty fun, this is pretty fun. And then this one, I was like, ooh this one's interesting. <laughs> and I, I looked it up and I found like, okay, yeah, there's the version in the Violet Fairy book. I couldn't find any like scanned versions of the very first English printing that I mentioned in the video. But yeah, I found I found like the actual story and I was like, there's something here. Yeah, I could, this is this is videoable. Um, and there's also other versions of the story where instead of being cats, it's like monkey spirits, which is kind of interesting. So there's there's internal variation, but man, I was so relieved to find that like other versions of the story existed because that's not always true. Yeah, <laughs> that was the case with Takoyo and the sea monster, where I was like, I can't find anything, and some of it might just be because this this Brit didn't know how he was spelling anything and didn't know what anybody was saying to him or how to write it, and that's why I can't look it up. But also, you never know with this stuff, man. I mean. <laughs> The stock format of, oh, there's a thing and we're sacrificing people to it and then a hero comes in and stops it. Like that's that's like baby's first folktale at this point. Uh so Yeah. Yeah. That's um Perseus and Andromeda? Perseus and Andromeda is a variant, but uh um, at least a Greek variant of it. You know, this is something that there's probably like <laughs> Oh, what was it? When I, I think it was when I was researching the Wild Hunt, I found like the the folkloric classification number system. Mm. Uh, there are it's several Grimm's, of them, right? 
Uh, it was no. one of the Grimm's brothers? No, 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 no. It's, uh, it's post-Grimm's. The Grimm, oh. the Grimm brothers were just writing tales down and frequently rewriting them to fit more with their sensibilities uh, or their, their cultural attitude. I, I, this is a tangent, but I, we learned about this in a class I took on Balkan folklore where it was discussed that, like, uh, the, the idea of the wicked stepmother might have been sort of the grimification of an actual just, like, cultural thing of, like, hey, if you marry into a family, your mother-in-law kind of needs to, like, train you in how to be a wife and mother, and oftentimes that makes her kind of harsh and cruel, and it's like, this is just a cultural thing people understand. Unless you're the Brothers Grimm, where you're like, ah, oh, yes, wicked stepmothers to be punished in various hideous ways. Anyway, it's a whole thing. Um, so... The uh, the index that I ran into for the uh, for the Wild Hunt video was called the Arne Thompson Uther Index, a catalog of folktale types used in folklore studies. Um, and there's also the I think the Stith Thompson one is the one that I used in the Wild Hunt video, but there's there's several more of them. Uh, and it just like so like the five ten a subvariant is Cinderella, young woman mistreated by her stepmother and stepsisters, and has to live in the ashes as a servant, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. This type is usually combined with episodes of one or more other types, especially three twenty seven a four o three four eighty five ten b, and also four o eight four o nine four thirty one four fifty five eleven five eleven a seven o seven and nine two three. None of these are elaborated on on the Wikipedia page, but I'm sure they're very exciting. So that's the kind of thing where it's like on on that level we're discussing, where it's like an entity requires an annual sacrifice of usually a young virginal woman, and then a hero comes to comes by, slays the entity, possibly you know uh, replaces them with the actual god they've ousted, uh, and then leaves. Because there, there's one of those in Journey to the West. Kuan Yin's goldfish takes that form. Uh, he requires a sacrifice of two children every year, uh, or he'll flood the village. You know, it's that kind of thing. It's it's an old story. Um, and I'm sure there's some very interesting anthropological reasons for why that story happens so often and why these people are always so willing to chuck babies down holes as long as it stops the rains from getting bad. Um, but anyway, yeah, so so the Shippetoto story was interesting, and I, I thought it was fun how it kind of tied in with all these other variants where it's like it doesn't really matter exactly what the bad guy is, but it's cool that it's cats this time. Yeah. Um, and I was like... <laughs> Took me an embarrassingly long time to figure out what I could do for the ending song, because I was like, "Man, if only this folktale about supernatural cats had some sort of easy musical theme I could tie into." Wait a second. Um, <laughs> so that worked out great. I had fun. I've always waited for an excuse to perform every. Like it's not. You good. had like like a villain epiphany when you were like, "Blue, I've got it. <laughs> <laughs> I know what I can torment them with." Uh, but also, "Memory" is the only good song in Cats, so like you're all welcome. Um, anyway, <laughs> yeah. So. It was fun, and uh, the the writer of that book, Zach Davison, actually like somebody no, like pinged him on Twitter about it. He oh. was like, "Oh, that's fun, nice video." I was like, "Yeah, nice book." Nice. We had this nice this nice little oh, like that's yeah, super cool. yeah. <laughs> um, Love that. But yeah, I definitely recommend it. It's got a very fun like accessible tone. Um, I think like when I was reading the intro and it was like, if you've watched anime, you might be aware of the fact that cat girls exist. I was <laughs> like, oh, I already like this guy. <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll link it down down below in the show notes. Uh, Definitely, yeah. Oftentimes, you know, folklore and mythology just kind of like exist out in the ether and it's hard to be like, what version of story is good? But uh, it's nice when we're able to be like, here's a book. You can actually go get it for yourself and yeah. read it and enjoy the story and many other stories. In something approximating their original context. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, this is part of the problem I run into where I like, because I like going straight to the primary source. And for me, the main benefit <clears throat> of a secondary source is that it can take me to primary sources, which yeah. is what I did with this book. You know, I 
the copy of the folktale that's present in the book is almost verbatim the copy that's in the Violet Fairy book. I think it might actually be literally the same, but I went and checked just in case, and I worked good. off of the Violet Fairy book <laughs> Always version. good. Yeah, um, and I couldn't find uh, any pre-Violet Fairy book version that had been translated, so I went with that one. Um, but, you know, sometimes I feel bad, because sometimes people will, like, email us asking, like, hey, I thought that your take on this in this video was really cool. Like, do you have any, like, sources for it? Because I couldn't find it. And I'm like, well... Yeah, but the source for that part is it's my own analysis of it. <laughs> like, I'm really sorry. Um, we actually just uh, had a, I just answered a question about that this morning, so it's fresh in my mind about um, Snorri Sturluson's, uh Christianization and how it affects his retellings of Norse mythology. And they were like, yeah, you know, I, I was like looking for sources about that and I couldn't find it. And I was like, okay, the source is this, this equation, basically. <laughs> um, one factor is that Iceland Christianized in the year 1000 and Snorri was born in 1179. So... Not only was he Christian, or at least Christianized, living in a Christianized country, there was nobody alive in the entire country who had existed before that. And then I take, along with that, the life and times of Snorri Sturluson, documented by the Icelandic Saga Museum, uh, and several other sources, but especially there. And it's, you know, he, he, all these political things he was doing, the promises he made to various different people, the, uh, the things that we can infer into why he wrote the Edda. And then... I put an equals sign, and that's where I put all of my analysis over what parts of the uh, po the prosetta I find deeply suspicious with this knowledge. Like, here are the Asas, who are Trojans, and uh, Odin is aware of an even more heavenly heaven that he can't get to, where light elves hang out, and... Uh, boy, the gods are really jazzed about how they're inevitably going to die and be replaced by a better god. Interesting concept for a living religion to have. Um, there was so. a very funny undercurrent through the God of War streams we were doing with Adam where it's yeah. like, oh, well, Snorri said this, so it's bullshit. And we can't <laughs> count it at all, which it's, obviously is not true. It's not uh. true, but it is what frustrates me the most because the Poetic Edda, we don't know who wrote it. And it seems to be fragments of much older stories. And there are parts of that that Snorri was drawing on as a source. But there's stuff Snorri says that wasn't in the Poetic Eddas, and that's where I get suspicious. And it's like, that's that's my analysis. And I try to make it clear in the video, like, if I have a factual source for something I'm saying, I'll be like, in this it says this. And if it's coming from my brain, I'll be like, now this is just me theorizing, but I think maybe this. And then people will go off on TikTok and be like, hey, did you know this thing is definitely true? This person said it. And I'm like, no! <laughs> All the academics are going to be mad at me now! Uh... There's no amount of caveating I can do to make it clear that sometimes I just, uh, you know, sometimes this is my own analysis. Uh, and I, I walk you through my logic so you know how it works. But if if I don't list a source, at least in the more recent videos, I was much worse about this earlier. But like I nowadays I try and be very solid about like this is the primary source I'm working on. This is something that did that. This is some information about that. Everything after this is either retelling from that or me connecting dots. So. Yeah. It's, anyway. uh, it, it's an art form uh, yeah. in, in scholarship and presentation. Which is why Shibetoto was so relaxing, because it's just like, I'm just going to tell this story. Yeah. This is how it is. Yeah, sorry. It's There's very, only so much context I can get. So Very it's, fun it's case. Um, but, but yeah. yeah. On, on the subject of, of, of history and, and such, uh, not uh, a ton of uh, things really to announce uh, this week. Pretty pretty chill, all things considered. Um, but uh, one recommendation we want to give all of you, uh, there is a channel on YouTube called Mini Minuteman, who I discovered uh, probably a couple weeks ago. Um, he has a bunch of fun shorts like debunking ancient aliens bullshit on TikTok. It's very fun to watch him just like 
deconstruct yes. these things like the theory that these these like weathered basalt steps in one of the egyptian pyramids is evidence of a nuclear war like okay obviously this is bullshit <laughs> but let's walk through why oh, um boy. very very funny stuff he recently put out a, a three-part at least series um on i watched ancient apocalypse on netflix so you don't have to i've only seen part one so far but it's very entertaining mm-hmm. and i would highly recommend it he uh essentially goes through point by point like Here's what the show is trying to prove to you about a globe-spanning society at the end of the Ice Age that, like, ruled the world and was lost. And here are all the reasons why this is an absolute pile of horseshit. (laughs) It's very entertaining, and you genuinely learn a lot about the processes of archaeology and, like, what it means to be, like, mainstream academia and how usually that means, like, people who actually, like, do research. Mm. in a way that makes sense um, yeah, so like very the, fascinating stuff Great, I feel like uh, there's this image of academia as like a bunch of like old stuffy white guys in tweed suits sitting around a table being like and we can never acknowledge that the gays were real uh, but it's like that that's like that's like a subsection of academia but there's a ton of people in academia from all walks of life and like the idea that oh an academic said this therefore you can't trust it that's just how conspiracy theorists get you the idea is like look if this makes a modicum of logical sense that's how you know they're trying to manipulate you yeah <laughs> so. there's not to, to to dally on the point for for too long but there is um uh, an important uh, inversion to the uh, the idea of like if someone has trained in their field for years and years and years, you can probably trust what they're saying. But it is not to say that you cannot trust someone if they don't have a degree, because independent research also exists. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, such is life. It's important that, you know, everyone does diligence as they're anyway, watch the things. Video. But this good. is why we have to, it's, it's a good video. It's a good video. You should watch it. Anyway, that's that for right now. Let's go on to the Q&A portion of the podcast. Yeah. Hello and welcome to the Q&A portion of the Overly Sarcastic Podcast, where we answer your questions from Ask OS Pod on Discord. This first question comes from one of our lovely patrons. If you'd like to support the podcast, support the channel, consider becoming a patron for a chance to have your question read first on a future episode. This question comes from Lonely by Wanderer. For all but mostly blue, what's your favorite video game soundtracks? I like listening to game soundtracks when I'm working, and I can only listen to Breath of the Wild so many times. So I'm always looking for recommendations. Yeah. Um, so aside from Journey. Yeah, aside from Journey, Abzu, Pathless, <laughs> uh, aside from the Assassin's Creeds, um, I've had some recent success in like searching YouTube for video game soundtrack and then just like putting in some variety of a vibe in the search bar. So it doesn't always work, but like I have, I found like, like Nintendo music in the rain, which is just like a little bit of ambient rain and then just some like various like aquatic sounding stuff. And it's like, that's neat. Might not be what I want all the time, but it's like, eh, okay, it's kind of cool. Um, so you can find a lot of like really interesting compilations of stuff from different games um, that uh, is kind of bundled by, by various creators on YouTube, sometimes with like some ambient noise in the background to set tone or whatnot. But uh, the strategy there is then you know you listen to one of those find one of the songs in that you like and then listen to the soundtrack for whatever that is <laughs> so nintendo's obviously a good place to start from because their music pretty much never misses but there's a lot of real good stuff out there uh, especially recently um hollow knight's great i wish i wish beethoven could have listened to the hollow knight soundtrack i feel like he really would have <laughs> liked it Aww. but uh yeah. yeah that's uh that's my quick answer is look for mega compilations and then like sift through the things you like and search from there 
You want to really get some work done? Because I have an answer to this that I think. Yes, yes. This is for all the ADHD girlies out there. Uh, I have two tracks on one playlist that just loop. It's Uh it's, um, like the main Hades music, you know, which is, it's not in the blood because that's not what the word's in it. Um, But you can't work with words music. No, 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 no. absolutely not. God of the Dead is the song. Mm. Um, And the other song that's on this playlist is from Kirby. (laughs) It's just the, you know, that, and it's just those two looping. And that oh is the ultimate source of focus when working on something. I don't often get to listen to music while working because I edit a lot of audio for a living. But when mm-hmm. I do, those two looping. My God, the mood whiplash. I love it. Yeah. Indigo, but the tone is remarkably pl- similar. <laughs> like, yes. Like the BPM or something just like really works together. Please make two playlists where it's like... 70 god of the dead and one that music from kirby and then one <laughs> 70 that music from kirby and one god of the dead and put it on shuffle <laughs> so you'll eventually get caught eventually. by it <laughs> i actually do have it's not video game soundtracks but uh i have just a playlist on my phone of uh four uh soundtrack scores uh one of them is for dune 2021 <laughs> Big old boom. Yeah, for when you really want to have to constantly modulate this the volume on your earbuds. Uh, one of them is the uh, it's like a like kung fu panda uh, like ensemble thing. That's like an hour. Uh, <laughs> one of them is the entire How to Train Your Dragon soundtrack, and one of them is the entire Prince of Egypt score. Uh, mm. And that's just if I really need to kill like six hours, just kind of loop that. Yeah. Really, video game music is remarkably good for background music because it operates in a lot of the same ways that, like, score and um, classical music do. It's no words, mm. just vibes. But it's often designed it. to loop so that it can last yeah. an arbitrary amount of time for the player. That's to why you can get those, out. like, eight-hour, eight like, Skyrim ambience loops in YouTube. Oh, it's like, yeah, yeah this, took, this was zero hours. And then again, Shadow of the like... Colossus. Also Shadow of the Colossus. Yes. Yeah, Very you can get that. those extended too, which is great. Mm-hmm. But like with the Skyrim ones, there's like Skyrim Day Ambience, Skyrim yeah. Night, Skyrim yeah. Towns. Skyrim there's Dragon a Skyrim one-hour loop Eight for hours. every occasion. It's not also aggressive. You're not listening DMs to trying to set ambiance. Mm. Yes. Um, Very much so. Lots of great options. Uh, this next question comes from Pongo. To Red, has there ever been a time in when your research for mythology or trope talks changed the way you think about your own storytelling? Oh, yeah, constantly. Um, it's it's a little hard to pinpoint any, like, specific big moments because oftentimes I'll, like, come up with a concept that I want to explore for a trope talk um, mm-hmm. because I've already been thinking about it. And sometimes in the course of writing up my notes on it, I'll realize that my opinion on it has somewhat changed or is different than it was before. I recently wrote up a and finished a script about the subject of bathos, which is something that uh, I've been mulling over for years and years at this point without even realizing it. I think a lot of people have because there's something that's been bothering them about the way a lot of dialogue is written nowadays and they just don't know what this nameless terror mm, is, but I've put a word to it. it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, and it's bathos. That's what's really annoying people. They think it's quipping, but really it's bathos. Um which is why Princess Bride slaps and <laughs> certain other movies don't. Yeah. Oh, boy. <laughs> I, I got to keep this one brisk. I can, I can feel <laughs> myself losing it. Um, but the point is, like, 
I usually write up a, a script on something after I've already been thinking about it for a while. So my opinions on things have changed a lot as I've, you know, grown and experienced different stories and stopped being an extremely angsty teenager, <laughs> which has helped a lot with certain things. Um, but I don't think I've ever really reached a point where I'm like, oh, I got to completely reevaluate everything. I got to, you know, I got to reverse how I'm doing something because this is bad. I, I think, well, that's not true. Uh, but that was hap that happened earlier when I had a lot more of like unexamined things in some of the stories I was mulling over but hadn't written anywhere. Um, there's a lot of classic beloved fantasy tropes that come from not great spaces. And uh, there's just sort of been a shift in, in just alongside the general cultural mindset, like as well as my own, like, hey, the idea that there are entire races of fantasy beings that are 100% evil is a little bit fucked, maybe. A little like, sus. Maybe that's, maybe that's weird. Maybe yeah. that's bad. It's like, it's, it's tempting. Oh, man, Lord of the Rings slaps. It's so helpful to just have, you know, infinite goblins and orcs for the heroes to mow down indiscriminately. That's good, clean fun. And it's good, clean fun because they're all evil. But if you're doing something like D&D &D, or really any sort of, you know, fantasy setting where everybody that is person-y is in fact a person with a rich inner life and their own yeah. personal motivations, you can't have that and an entire race of disposably evil scrubs. Um, I feel like there's a few things that I've sort of quietly shifted in the background without looking at. Um, Tied in with that, the idea that you can have characters that will just, like, slaughter their way through armies of minions and then essentially only apply their moral compass to, like, the named characters that they're dealing with. <laughs> it's like, oh, I can't kill you, I'd be just like you. It's like, oh, the 10,000 dead goblins behind you probably <laughs> wish you'd uh, extended them the same sense of personhood. <laughs> um, yeah. That's the sort of thing that, like, I think it used to give me, like, a little tickle of cognitive dissonance where it's like, okay, yeah, you know, you, this, this character can just murder these living thinking beings uh just non-stop and then they get to you know their their sexy nemesis and they're like no i can't kill you <laughs> that would be bad for me morally and it's like uh, okay so personhood is like relative i see and i think i sort of just eventually came down on the like side of everything that's persony and clearly thinks is a person and once i started treating my fantasy world like that Certain things were harder. You know, it's hard to just give your characters just a big old fight scene that's just clean fun, and then they can go right back to quipping in the middle or after it. Uh, but, you know, I, I I like this version of the trope better, personally, because it doesn't give me weird cognitive dissonance uh, <laughs> about the morality of my quippy, heroic, fun-loving protagonists. Um, so... I feel like I'm orbiting, like I'm circling the drain on the answer to this question, because the answer is yes, but it doesn't tend to be these big moments of revelation. I just get a better understanding of storytelling the more of it I interact with and the more stuff I write up about it. And sometimes I'll notice that I've shifted my perspective on things while I'm in the process of writing something up where I'm like, oh, you know, now I kind of think that this thing is, is actually not a great thing to include in a story or, wow, I really see the value of this thing that I previously didn't get. Um, but it doesn't tend to be a big moment of like, oh, I need to reevaluate everything, uh, because I don't tend to think like that, I guess. <laughs> yeah. So I, the way that I, this, this answer will, will kind of tangent off and then come back to the center. Mm -hmm. Uh, the way that I think about videos is every time I, I work on a video, I want to try to make one thing better than last time. And usually it, it's small back in the beginning times. It was like, I want to actually like edit the music on this one. Like it, it used <laughs> to be really big steps. And now each individual step is smaller, which, which is good. That means progress, right. um, in, in a perverse kind of way. But I also think about that in my own writing. So every time that I write something, it's like, okay, cool. What? 
might I want to work on for next time? Or if I interact with a story that really strikes me as like, oh, this is good. Like, oh, what what parts of this can I learn from? And not necessarily like copy for next time, but if, if there's something that struck me like, a character interaction, a a type of storytelling, an idea. It's like, oh, maybe I can find something to do with this in the next thing I'm working on. So it's not like I have to burn everything down and restart, but it's like, right. oh, for the next project, maybe I focus on this idea instead. So, yeah. Yeah. I've had something similar. Uh, it's not really, it, it's, again, tangential to the question um, because it's not about the research process for a video. It's about the artistic process of drawing the comic, um, which is... For those of you who aren't in the know, there's a comic I've been working on for a couple of years now called Aurora. Uh, and if you look at the art in the first couple chapters versus the art in the more recent chapters, it's very clear that there's a lot of stuff I've figured out. Um, I remember the day I figured out what atmospheric perspective was and realized I could get a ton of mileage just by making less work for myself by adding <laughs> fog to backgrounds. That was, oh, the heavens did ope on that one. Um, I feel like that's really where all of this is for me. The number of times I've had like an artistic revelation and I'm like, oh my God, this changes everything. Like that's not small. I almost never have that with the actual process of the writing unless I figure out like, oh, I can do something clever with this and connect these two dots and then something cool happens. But that, again, that's not like, that, that's not really the same thing as, oh, I... I talked myself out of this opinion I had. Uh, I guess the one time I did that was in the discussion leading up to the video about the heart. Because uh, previously, I think on a podcast or a streamer or something, I've been like, I just don't know what I can talk about there. And like, oh, I need to deal with the elephant in the room about how like, I need to touch on the oh, female characters thing again that people always yell at me about. And I just, man, I, I just really don't know what there is to talk about, about how this previously flat cardboard character archetype slowly grew into an extremely nuanced and layered figure that no longer wait a fucking second so yeah so that does happen sometimes but it's a rare event where it's like a like a hardline position that i end up reversing on um but you know the the process of becoming a better artist is sort of a lot of incremental change that you don't necessarily notice happening at the time and a lot of it is just figuring out how to do something better and then just sort of integrating that into it like first few chapters of the comic drawing trees was my nightmare Around chapter five, I figured out a way, no, maybe chapter seven, I figured out a, a way to make tree backgrounds that looked fantastic and were significantly easier for me to do. And since then, that's been my go-to strategy for background trees, stuff like that. Um, and I've uh, actually polished it up a little bit with some more recent stuff I did where I was drawing foreground trees in a poster for Rolling with Difficulty that I forgot to put up on the shop just yet. Don't worry, we'll get in there. I'm sorry. <laughs> um, but, like, there's one panel there where there's trees, and I was like, let me try something, and it ended up looking great. And, you know, that'll let me try something. Oh, that worked great. I'll just integrate this into my style from now on. It's just kind of how the, the growth process yeah. works. But, yeah, I experienced that the most of the visual art side of things, almost never with the um, the writing attitudes. That tends to be a lot more gradual shift, just like who I am as a person changes over time and thus the things that make sense to me and the things that sort of tickle is like something's wrong there. That that shifts, and yeah, I just kind of got to go with the flow. Very cool. Uh, well, <laughs> this next question comes from Psych Angel. To all, I think it's safe to say we all appreciate and love the effort, fun, and dedication to the Bard with your performances as the OS players. If you were to put any of the OS players in their respective roles in an actual production of the plays you've performed thus far, who would it be? Personally, I think Noir playing Julius Caesar in Latin will always be a top pick. Best wishes to you guys and continue to be awesome. So if yeah. we had to put someone, I assume giving the performance that they gave um, <laughs> in the play that we did in either McNope or, the, or Julius Caesar, uh, 
who's your pick? Give me give me the ten hour cut of Julius Caesar where every line is delivered in binary. <laughs> no, I'm I'm fully ten kidding. It would hour? be it would That's, be thirty. <laughs> it would be thirty minimum. <laughs> oh boy. Yeah. Uh, um, I mean, Noir's Latin is a pretty good, good pick. Um, that it's one really one, did. Because yeah. unfortunately, just by the nature of the play, most of the the character choices would would clash pretty heavily mm-hmm. with any like all played solidly cast yeah so yeah. i mean it could be fun to maybe throw the witches as performed by three people trying to read the same script at the same time with no practice in but i do like because it's very off-putting in a kind yeah. of horrific way which is arguably what the witches are doing in the scottish like, play you know actually yeah i think i'll i'll take that one as my answer because i think that the witches are the characters that work the best of the two plays we've done. They work mm-hmm. the best with that sort of weird, not really, not really in the same universe as the rest of the characters. In the same way that it's like you can you can have characters that intermittently break the fourth wall. You know, like mm-hmm. you know your Hermes is in Hades Town, your Beetlejuice is in Beetlejuice. The characters that can sort of just turn out to address the audience or be like, "Boy, this line, am I right?" Uh, it's it's you know it's a specific role and you can't overextend it too much because some of the characters need to be behind the fourth wall fully for the immersion to work mm-hmm. um but the witches are in this very weird position where it's like their machinations are why the plot happens to a certain extent so it's like if they're sort of pulling the strings i think it's okay to make it seem like like what everyone else is seeing when they see them has nothing to do with what the audience is seeing when they see them. And I think that Mm -hmm. that's an interesting implication to explore. And there are other plays where that can be used, you know, um, Midsummer Night's Dream would be perfect for that because of the, the fairies being just so weird, especially Puck who literally breaks the fourth wall on multiple occasions. Um, but we haven't done one of those as the OS players. I think all we did was kind of a shit post late night reading yes. of it where we were swapping off every line, yes, which was that great one was because very fun. <laughs> I will never forget my reading of uh, of Puck's lines as Joey Wheeler. That was just yes, so that, funny. Those uh, after dark streams are great because the imposed um, bit is that we're swapping every line, but if one of us has given a character an accent, the other one also tries to do that accent, and we. Yeah cannot do the same character voice <laughs> we cannot we cannot in fact so it's great because 50 percent of our performances are really bad as really a result bad. but man um, what a no. fun little exercise but i think um, that's a great logic to put onto the witches um in a much less logical part of me that i would love to see uh the kermit puppet make it because that's just sort of a backdoor muppets movie is letting yeah. noir as kermit back in um legitimately Muppets Macbeth with Kermit as King Duncan would as the would only slap. Muppet, so and then he he dies, and then there's no more Muppets. That would be <laughs> the rest so of the play good. is just completely normal. I love it. I love yeah. it actually. I think that works great. Yeah, uh, Blue, you got any of the OS players you would like to see um, elevated to the theater? At, the theater, I think, the practical stage, the big I, screen, like, as it were. I'd love to see a version of the the ditto gag where there's just like other pokemon randomly but then of course like aside from a very like narrow pool of lines the play becomes completely unintelligible because it only works in a scene where you know uh sin of the poet is being asked who he is and keeps responding ditto but like that's that's why only in that scene though so it kind of yes exactly i think i think it could work not if the characters are pokemon but if every character in Julius Caesar has a Pokemon. Mm. <laughs> the Detective Pikachu oh, approach gosh. to Shakespearean yeah, exactly. tragedies. Because yeah. yeah. <laughs> the, the ditto bit was, I think, inspired 
and it works perfectly within the context of that one scene where if it was any other scene in any other character it wouldn't have worked yes. as well um yeah the... I, do, I feel like with the shadow also like you two are doing your best performances as you know as much as you can uh well, yeah hopefully putting either of you in the play would result in like theoretically red and blue play. getting to do the play <laughs> Yeah. That would be extremely cool, but I felt like that would be like the weak sauce answer. Yeah, like, I didn't want I that sure to be like to the answer. Because, yeah. but right. I do want to shout you both out for being the good sports that you are and yeah. being the important that. straight Thanks. men of this play. Hey, of these I, plays. It's <laughs> nice. I don't need to worry about being funny. It's great. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I, I will I've... say, Red, though, you, you did a really good, especially when you had actual lines uh, as Macbeth. Uh, you did <laughs> Macbeth a really good job Anthony. with that one. Yeah, that's the one <laughs> in particular. You, yeah. Sick Antony line count burn, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I, I had a good time with those, and I, I'm glad they worked because, boy, howdy, that's the like being the only like straight man performer in the in the cast of clowns is like it, it's it's kind of the easy job, but also that means when you get to be serious, you kind of have to kill it. Otherwise, everyone's like, oh, this is boring. Um, yeah. But I, yeah, yeah, did my best. Um, also, I this is a tangent, but the thing about like, oh, what if they all had Pokemon just reminded me like, I feel like there's this really popular just like fan, like what if everyone just had a little guy? Cause then that's all the Pokemon guys and that's all the like Damon, his dark materials guys. And like, it's Digimon. always just like, what if every character had their assigned weird little guy? What would that look like? And I've, it's, it's correct. I love all of those little like AUs. Cause it's like, how does this not change the plot at all? <laughs> and what little yeah. guy would they select? Everyone deserves to have a little guy. Everyone the weird little, little dude guy. school of character creation. <laughs> yeah. Oh boy. Excellent. Well, this next question comes from... Hold on, I lost my timer. Ah ha ha, it's back. This next question comes from Boshwa. To all, are there any words, phrases, or certain behaviors you unconsciously got from each other that made you feel like Alucard when he realized he was becoming like Trevor? So we spend <laughs> a fair amount of time together, or at the very least chatting. Is yeah. Are there any like mannerisms you think you guys have picked up from each other or from anyone on the OS team? I got ballin' from Red a long time ago. I got ago. beans from Red. <laughs> <Aww>. <laughs> this is funny because I'm like a sponge for other people's mannerisms, so I just sort of pick them up. Uh, I feel like, Blue, you got heck from Cyan, and I'm yes, at I risk did. of getting it from you. Because <laughs> um, it's just so cute. Yeah. yeah. Despite my best oh, efforts, no one has gotten water yet, but don't worry, it's only a matter of time. <laughs> Oh no! We're coming for you. Coming Watch for out! You. <laughs> We're spreading. Oh jeez! Yeah, I, I feel like anything that I've absorbed more than like a week ago has just already become a foundational column of my personality, yeah. and I can't extricate yeah. it from the rest of me anymore. Um, I have to listen to a lot of all of us talking because I edit this and other podcasts that we're all on. Um, and it is fun to see sort of the development of, like, one of the three of us starting to use language from the other two. Like, mm -hmm. I want that fan out on my desk by Monday was a throwaway joke in a podcast <laughs> that then got parroted back so many times that it has become a bit that Red and I will yeah, just yeah, do on other yeah. shows. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like, Blue, I'm at risk of reacquiring Dece from you. Oh, no. Yeah. <laughs> you know that was like a high school. Yeah. That was a high school thing that, yeah. that some then, of like, our, our buds got. And then also Cyan mentioned it the other day. And she like she said I said this to spite you, and I'm like okay, true, because like damn blast from the past, because I haven't said that in a while too. For those of you in the audience, dece, um, short for decent, but also yep. like dece, also kind of is in like ten out of ten. Not typically used that way. It's mostly like decent, nice, yeah, dece, 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 all right. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. 
But yeah, it's it was very high school. Is it like very. saying it immediately slams me back to the high school senior <laughs> lounge with GTA on the TV? There's just no escaping it. But like like saying something ironically is the gateway to saying it unironically. Yeah. So. It's yeah, it's it's happening. I can also, feel it. um, noise uh, from Keen Peel. I think I got you on that too. I still type out noise more than noise. I say it. Uh, yeah, you do. <laughs> yeah. Also, I think noise is like I think it was also a Brooklyn Nine Nine thing. It uh, did later uh, become a Brooklyn Nine Nine. Because at one point yeah. I said oh, it in like polite company, and one of the people there is like head snapped, like "Whoa, mm. you also watched that show?" And I'm like, "Oh God, I didn't even notice I was doing it." <laughs> um, yeah. I can't help it. I'm a sponge for these things. I, I can't resist. Words yeah, will we're just all in a big sort head. of constant, uh, a constant trade of linguistic tics that we all have just <laughs> yeah. circling around to the point where it's almost impossible to tell who gave who what. Yeah. yeah I Also, in high school, I, I watched so much British YouTube that I picked up the British inflection for asking questions where the, the like inflection goes up rather than down. Like... Do you want to go to the movies? Is the kind of English American version where is do you want to go to the movies? Oh, the is movies. the British version. Yeah, yeah the, the up down. Like I yeah, okay. I, I picked that up mean. in high school and I just haven't gotten rid of it. <laughs> <laughs> oh no. Uh, yeah. I picked up a habit of going into random accents when I'm feeling silly from my mom. Nice. Uh, <laughs> she was like, I don't know. Like she, she'd also like read books to me when I was very little and she'd do all the voices. And then sometimes when she's feeling either like, it's like either I'm being silly or like, oh, I need to say something a little bit awkward and I'm not sure how you're going to take it. So I'm going to do it in a funny voice. Like sometimes I do that and I'm just like, I, mm, this is probably harmless. <laughs> I'm not giving anybody like deathbed news or anything. So I think yeah. it's okay. <laughs> I had, um, I applied for a video producer job at Polygon and I didn't get it. And I have, as of this date, still forgotten to take that video application down. It's not good. I shouldn't have gotten the job. But <laughs> to prep for it, I watched every single video Polygon had posted in the last three years to get their Whoa. style down. Uh, and uh, that at the time was a lot of the unraveled. And yeah. for a few months afterwards, and still sometimes it slips in, I will just do brian david gilbert's exact delivery of lines or yeah. exact style of delivery and it's a habit i'm trying so hard to break and every time i think i've lost it it comes back <laughs> i oh man i mean th at this point this is well outside the purview of the question because it's like w w you know what stuff did we get from outside <laughs> sources but i still do the john mulaney now just like all the day <laughs> uh, <laughs> it's just so pleasing um mm -hmm. oh yeah. boy but, but yeah, it's just kind of a spin whew. cycle of verbal ticks mm -hmm. in this group. You know, yeah. whatever one of us does, we all start doing within a month. Yeah, that is that is the way, you know. Uh, <laughs> this this next way. question comes from Amateur Tree Climber. To all, for the OS Presents videos, how do you decide who plays which role? Red and Blue both only play one main role, but how do you settle who is who between the two? And the other play... The and the others play the rest. Are any behind the curtain look at how those got, get divided? I struggled to get through that question so much. <laughs> um, yeah, I think we tend to sort of lock that in pretty early. Cause it's mm -hmm. like, like who are the two main guys that the, the other characters interact with the most? Because uh, then it's like, yeah, you know, I can do that one. Oh, yeah, I want to do this one. I don't think we ever mm -hmm. have like argued over it because it's only been no. twice. And you I think it was like, easy, like it's it's just yeah. identifying the two quote unquote main characters, and then you two sort of just. Just pick figure from out that. Who you yeah, want. exactly. Yeah. Um, um, for the everyone else part, uh, I want to say there's a lot of thought that goes into it. Uh, it kind of depends on who we cast, but mm. what usually happens is I will take the 
script of the play, go through it scene by scene and mark down which characters appear in which scenes. Because the goal is always to double cast people in the same scene as little as possible. Right. Um, uh, Caesar, that presented a huge challenge because there's like 10 characters in every scene. And yeah. <laughs> you just yeah, have to double cast people. Uh, the Scottish play was a little bit easier for that. But um, And then usually I'll, just, I'll go through that list and I'll start with the characters with the most lines. Give like one to each person in the in the extras section of the cast and then just sort of go through that until all the characters are are cast out i give everyone an option to tell me if they want to play a certain part uh no one did for caesar but i do think that there were a few for the scottish play if i recall correctly so it it's uh it's a little it's a little bit less structured and thought out than necessarily it could be i do tend to give tim significant woman parts because i find it incredibly (laughs) funny when he plays every woman all at once but yeah um and like noir had the current puppet and we're like oh we should probably give him Caesar, I might be able to designated make dead guy. Designated dead guy. <laughs> so like, assuming he would use Kermit to play Caesar, I was but, um, blown away that he didn't. But yeah, there's it's it's, it's not um the hardest and fastest of castings or the most thought out, but it, there's a little bit of, yeah. of plotting that goes into it. And then these two have no idea what's happening because yeah. they yeah. they it's get their parts and then it's it's important that yeah. they don't know who's who yeah. when we're yeah. doing it. We we're like quarantined out of the the channel where they're doing all this conversation, mm-hmm. and we only find yeah. out as they start talking, basically, which is always fun. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, we have time, I think, for one last question here before we sign off for this podcast. Uh, this one comes from Scarlet Nova. To all, what is the dumbest hill you'll die on? So what's that Ooh. one thing that's Ooh. you will go down defending, even if it is incredibly silly? I do this so often, it's hard to pick. <laughs> oh, man. Because this oh. isn't just a hot take. This is like, where do we like throw down... Mm-hmm. the gloves <laughs> this is where the gauntlets come off yeah i have at times had movie opinions like this where it's like people are like this movie's trash and i'm like it's not fuck you <laughs> this is why i started doing the bad movie nights on twitter which i should do yeah. more of actually uh because it was like people would be like oh that movie's bad i'd watch it i'm like i'm having a great time what's wrong with you so it's like hey show me more movies that are bad maybe they're actually good and sometimes that happens sometimes it doesn't <laughs> um Hmm. I don't think there should be so many fishing mini games in video games. Oh yes, yes. Oh yeah, that's the classic. Thing. I yeah. know that every deve- time. Like, oh, I I'm sure there are developers out there that'd be like, "Well, do you understand these all these different reasons that we use them?" Yeah, fine. I don't want to fish. Okay, there's not a good reason <laughs> behind this. I just don't want to have to fish anymore. I- Every time I see a fishing mini game in a video game, I, I think of you, Indigo, and Thanks. it was. It was hilarious when I was I was at PAX and Sign and I were watching a Games Done Quick for Sonic Frontiers, oh. and there was a five minute section <laughs> in the speed run where Sonic has to go fishing to collect a certain amount of resources. And I'm like, oh my god, Indigo would fucking hate this. The time this. <laughs> it's made me the angriest was I was playing Kirby in the Forgotten Realm, and uh, there's a rather late game introduction of a fishing mini game there, and I had to turn my switch off, put it down, and walk away and do something else. It's not even, you don't have to fish in that game. There is no reason that you have to do the fishing minigame. And just the fact that it's there. <laughs> do bug catching or something. I don't know. Do anything else. Oh, man. Hades. Well, this is reminding game. me of some Fire of Emblem insists on having cool. fishing minigames all the goddamn time. I don't understand what the obsession with Fire Emblem fans and fishing is. <laughs> all right. Some That's hills. my hill, anyway. Yeah, red. What? What's please? Twilight Princess, best overall Zelda. Not necessarily the best game. Not necessarily the best uh, gameplay. 
but it's the best Zelda. It's the best Link. Zelda and Midna have something going on. That's a lot of fun. <laughs> uh, Cowboy Werewolf versus Alien Invasion is a top-tier story premise, and yeah. people were like, oh, they're making Link like edgy and dark it's like they're making link hot and a cowboy i don't want to see any of you fucking complaining so whatever <laughs> um <laughs> they were like oh they're, it's, they're just trying to appeal to the people who like like grim dark edgy stories it's like i like grim dark edgy stories but only in this context um so yeah twilight princess a hill i will die on willingly uh there was another one about the the video games thing but now i can't remember what it was i'm sure it'll come <laughs> to me I'm having a really hard time thinking of which hill I'll die on that isn't just one of my, like, basic bitch, like, character traits. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, man. Um, a lot of movies are good, and I think that uh, criticism that refuses to acknowledge the good parts of bad media is inherently flawed. I'll die Preach. on that hill willingly and have yeah. before. Heck, I think yeah. that... Uh, That's if not dumb. That's just right. <laughs> right. I think if your school of criticism is based exclusively on ripping things apart when you spot weaknesses, you're never going to learn how to build anything. Mm -hmm. So it's important to notice the parts of bad things that are doing things well, because then you can figure out why those parts are working, especially in contrast to the parts around it that absolutely aren't. Some of the best ways, in my experience, to learn how good stories are put together is to experience bad stories, you know, in moderation, uh, and then be like, what parts of this are working, and how could this part be made to work? But if your school of criticism is just, I want to rip this apart because it's fun, like, look, I understand, it's fun to rip things apart sometimes. I totally get it. Sometimes it's just nice to have a nice little, you know, let's crack open this barrel and let's shoot some fucking fish. But, like, sometimes... It's like that's 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 a sometimes food. You got to be able and willing to be like this part's good. And why is that good? There's good parts in the original D&D &D movie. The fucking really bad one. <laughs> you know, the one that's really bad. Not I've heard the new one's probably going to be pretty good, but the the old one's very bad. Um but randomly, I think that one has Tom Baker as like King of the Elves. Uh just just randomly Am I confusing that with Aragon, the movie? Whatever. There's good shit in that movie. There's good shit in every movie. I think it's important to know why, which is why I, I, my my generally like favorite YouTube channel I keep coming back to is Cinema Wins, whose uh, approach to movies is like every movie is somebody's favorite. I want to figure out why. Um, mm -hmm. So, yeah, any school of criticism that relies on just ripping things to shreds for shits and gigs uh, is not helpful. I think it can be fun, but it's not helpful, and that's important. That's yeah. a distinction that needs to be drawn. Um, oh, another hill to die on. <laughs> I knew they'd start coming if I just started talking. Um, every art form and every story you could ever tell has value to somebody. If it was important to you, it has an audience. Uh, there's no such thing as a story that appeals to nobody. And, you know, you can never predict what kind of value people will gain from your work. Even if you think, like, this work is bad or this old work isn't my best, it's like somebody loves that. Somebody got something out of that. Um, so there's no such thing as a story that isn't worth telling. And the thing is, like, this accounts for things that, like, I think are stupid and I don't like. I'm like, this is still somebody's favorite. It doesn't need to work for me. That doesn't mean I get to dictate that it doesn't exist, you know. Um, there's, uh, but, but this is the thing I see, like, a lot of, like, beginner artists and writers really worry about. Like, I have this idea for a story, but, like, it's not super original or, like, I just don't know if it's worth it. And it's like, it's always worth it. Somebody will get something out of it. Um, there is, <laughs> there's an audience for everything. Uh, and there's a value and a merit in creation. And even if you, the artist, can no longer see the value in something you've created, somebody else can. And you just have to trust that that audience exists and will, you know, find it if they can find it and get what they can out of it. 
Um, in the same vein as like there's good in everything. Even if you create something that then you're like, this is technically bad, you know, it's put together poorly. There was a time when this was your crowning achievement and that there are people out there who are currently where you were then. There are people out there who are in the spot you were at when you were like, this is the thing I need to make and the thing I need to see. And those people will always exist in various forms. So anything you create has value. It's important to just create it. And on a similar note, don't beat down beginner artists because they're not producing perfect works. Also, no work is perfect. I'll die on that hill too. So yeah. many hills, so little These time. Are so many hills that are, I would, in the context of this question, not dumb. Those are very... <laughs> <laughs> pretty, oh shit, I forgot it's supposed hills. to be dumb hills. Uh, well, yeah. Tea is not, all tea tastes the same. That's oh, my hill. Nice. Yeah, that's that's going to be a tough one. It's yeah. hot leaf juice. It smells Ouch. different, but it tastes like leaf water. <laughs> my Maybe my dumb hill, and again, I don't know if this is like too not dumb of a thing, but like I find like combat in TTRPG games to be antithetical to role playing. Mm. Just by my experience, like it's so slow. Okay, it's okay. so crunchy. You have to caveat that before the before the audience rips you to shreds. T- uh, TTRPG combat in D&D is antithetical to role-playing. There are other TTRPG systems that are designed to solve this problem. I just right. wanted to save you L- from getting eviscerated. Let me take that again. How about... <laughs> no, we don't need to take it again. I mean, I just thought, like... <laughs> no, I will. Okay. Haha, I'm snapping, so you can't use this track. <laughs> My new um, uh, hill to die on is that we should edit this podcast less and just leave all the mistakes in. <laughs> I'll second this dying on the hill. <laughs> you cannot win, Blue. We have the high ground on this hill we're dying on. <laughs> I don't like the combat in Dungeons and Dragons. <laughs> yeah. Because I think Ooh. it's very crunchy and slow and antithetical to role playing and takes a disproportionate amount of the time away from like actual character stuff. And it fucks over anyone who doesn't have a combat class. <laughs> How fun is being a bard in combat? In uh, reality? Not, but that is a different. This is a uh, this is a hill um, both of us could die on. Is that bards are cool and that also combat, combat is slow. An additional yeah. hill. I think that Hayden Christensen acting in the prequels is only bad in the voice. I think his facial acting is really really good. And when he can shut up and like George Lucas isn't making him say words, he gives a really good performance. You guys are just mean. <laughs> There we go. I'm going to double down on fishing minigames shouldn't be in as many video games as they are and start to bring us out of this podcast before <laughs> our hills turn into mountains. Uh, <laughs> Red, are you ready to take us out with this outro? Sure. Let me just drink some of this disgusting leaf juice first. <laughs> Fuck you. <laughs> There's licorice and slippery elm bark in this. I'd like to see you defend that. <laughs> Thank you all so much for listening. We'll be Back in two weeks with another episode, assuming we can get our act together and record a thing in like two days. Uh, and <laughs> there's going to be more videos out uh, every Friday as per the huge. Um, I've always wondered how you're supposed to spell that. I don't know where I got the huge. Anyway. Um, not from me. Not from you. I, I think I think I'm the one who introduced <laughs> it into this particular ecosystem. I'm just yeah. not sure where it got how it got into me. Um, check out the video we recommended uh, and other stuff as well. Um, you know how it is. YouTube is fun. There's a lot of good stuff on there. I don't know YouTube why YouTube is keep... fun. <laughs> I don't know why YouTube we should is we should post videos there sometime. I think it could really take off. Yeah, yeah. What a concept. Um, God, that's sec- additional hill when you have a historical setting and they have a historical character who's actually from history show up and be like, oh, the one thing I'm famous for, huh? It'll never take off. I think that joke was funny once, and everyone else needs to stop it. Okay. Anyway. Videos on Friday. Podcast two Wednesdays from now. Uh, oh, check out Rolling with Difficulty. It's another podcast we're on, and also Movie Struck. It's a podcast Sophia does, Ooh. and it's really good. Uh, and I think 
I was on the Bionicle episode that just came out two days ago. I oh, forgot yeah. about that. It yeah. was me and Noir, and we had a blast. <laughs> I'm always trying to, to forget about Bionicle. that. No, it's a very fun episode. Thank you for coming on. <laughs> Send more Bionicles to P.O. Box. Uh, I don't like anyway. that we become the biggest three Bionicle influencers by virtue of being the only people who... <laughs> this is great. I think you guys should really lock this in. I think we need to double down on this Bionicle angle. Uh, <laughs> oh, the All boy. Bionicle Movie Podcast, coming this summer. Anyway... Boy, I'm in a state right now. Uh, I think we'll see you next time, right? Until next time, <laughs> yeah. I've been read. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I've been confused. <laughs> <laughs> Me too, buddy. <laughs> and, uh, you think I'm in control of this train? No thanks. I'm just sitting in the front. And, and uh, what this has this been? been? Yeah. Podcast. Yeah. <laughs> thanks so much for listening to this week's episode of the Overly Sarcastic Podcast. We'll be back on April 12th with another thrilling installment, but if you miss us before then, be sure to check out Overly Sarcastic Productions on YouTube. Got a question for the pod? Head over to Ask OS Pod on Discord for a chance for your question to be featured in a future episode. If you enjoyed the show, please rate us and leave a review on your preferred podcast platform, and if you really enjoyed the show, consider becoming a patron. Links to all that and more can be found in the show notes below.